Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. There came to him some Sadducees, those who denied that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and then the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more, since they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed, in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and also the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Again, good morning to you. Welcome to All Saints Church. And to you Astros fans, congratulations. Oh, whoa. More than any of the other services. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you make my words and the meditation of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight this morning? O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week we began a new four-week sermon series on the essential emphases of the church, distinctives of the church that are necessary for the healing of the world. Last week we looked at the hospitality of the church, in and through the church, the importance of it. Today we consider the eternity of the church, quite an appropriate topic for All Saints Sunday. With input from the lectionary on Monday of this week, I chose, chose our scripture texts that were just read, which was about the time that I started experiencing increasing pain in my back and side and even my stomach, like I had never felt before, even to the point that I couldn't sleep. We turned and flipped the mattress, but that did not help. By Wednesday night, I was taking two Advil PM and two extra strength Tylenol just to begin to get to sleep and moving from bed to bed to finally get to sleep. It wasn't until Thursday morning that my doctor confirmed, I have shingles. Yes, from my navel to my spine on my left side, for you that know your geography, it looks like the islands of Indonesia and the Philippines. Is that too much information? Well, that's when I began to appreciate, in a whole new way, our Old Testament passage from Job that the lectionary had already chosen for us. I hadn't lost my wife or kids or house, but Job chapter 2 says he had, quote, 
loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in ashes, unquote. So this morning, I take comfort from Job. It could be worse. And pain medication is a very good thing. And our New Testament passage from Hebrews, which was written to first century Jewish Christians beaten down from suffering and trials, needing to know how to cope with the brutal realities of life. Then I began to realize, I'm going to need this sermon as, at least as much as any of you. And that's because I have a confession. I am a wimp. A terrible patient, my wife can attest, with little patience for discomfort, which is not unusual in our society post-World War II. We're the most prosperous, cushy, comfortable generations in all of human history, if you think about it. There's never been a culture with a lower pain threshold than ours. And yet, life is still full of suffering, trials, and brutal realities. A surprising diagnosis with the slog of treatments to follow. Financial reversal. Betrayal of a friend. Loss of a loved one. Loneliness. Exhaustion with the nonstop speed of parenting. There are as many types of trials in life as there are lives in this room. And so how do we live with our faith intact in the midst of such trials? Two points this morning to understand the answer. The nature of the church and the nurture of the church. First, the nature. Do you share with me this morning the memory from Sunday school years ago? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. The point was that the church is a worshiping community of people, which is right as far as it goes. But we need to go further. It's not just local. And as we affirm almost every Sunday in the Apostles' Creed, it's the Holy Catholic, with a small c, the Holy Catholic Church, meaning universal. Universal meaning diversity, unified by our faith in Christ. It's the communion of saints, meaning our Savior or Redeemer has set us apart, made us holy. But it's not just as a saints alive today on earth, it's all saints, good name for a church, it's all saints who've ever lived. Look at our passage from Job. It's considered one of the oldest Old Testament books, and yet he says, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in, that Hebrew word in can also be translated without, it's interchangeable, yet in or without my flesh I shall see God. In the midst of unspeakable suffering and loss, what a prescient statement of hope and faith in the promised Redeemer, all the way promised back from Genesis 3, and in his own spiritual resurrection without my flesh, and bodily resurrection in my flesh, I shall see God. 
And in the Redeemer's triumphal arrival, at the last he will stand upon the earth. What a statement of hope and faith. The church universal is not just New Testament believers who look back in faith to the promised Redeemer who has come. It is also Old Testament believers who looked forward in faith to the promised, believe, the promised Redeemer who would come. They just didn't know his name was Jesus Christ. In the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, the word for the gathering of God's people at Mount Sinai is epi-synagoge, from where we get our word synagogue, which the Septuagint uses almost synonymously with ekklesia, the Greek word meaning church or a gathering of those summoned. And so we can speak of the New Testament church and the Old Testament church. Those who have died in the faith and are now in heaven, we refer to as the church triumphant. Or, and for those who are living and still on earth, we sometimes refer to them as the church militant or perhaps maybe better, the church in testing or trial. And when we gather for worship and the sacrament of communion, what do we say each week? With angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name. The church triumphant is part of all the company of heaven. In other words, every Sunday is All Saints Sunday. We believe and pray that when we gather for worship, the Lord lifts us up spiritually to join with all the company of heaven in worshiping him in the true sanctuary, in the heavenly Jerusalem, which he is building to perfection with living stones. As we abide in Christ by faith, we are not just united to Christ, we are united to all believers, those living and those who have died and passed into glory. In Acts chapter 9, when Jesus appears in bodily resurrection to Saul, the future St. Paul, on the road to, from Jerusalem to Damascus, he doesn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus sees himself, the heavenly bridegroom, and his bride, the church, eternally united as one. As the last verse of the hymn, the church's one foundation, which we will sing later in the service, uh, the the last verse says, Yet she, referring to the church, yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. There are only two things in this life that will last for eternity in heaven, the word of God and the church. Now, why have I taken valuable time this morning to describe the universal, diverse, eternal nature of the church, united through time in union with Christ? Because we need to understand the nature of the church in order to appreciate and participate in the nurture of the church. 
How is the church nurtured, developed, encouraged to carry on in faith, especially in the midst of the brutality of life in all sorts of circumstances? Well, certainly, our church's 10 spiritual formation practices are a good answer. Word and prayer, smaller groups, study, spiritual direction, Sabbath retreat, tithing and sacrificial giving, fasting and moderation, hospitality, service. But another good answer to all the church, to how the church is spiritually formed and nurtured, is by heroes. Inspiration, direction, and example from heroes of the faith. Of course, Jesus is no doubt our perfect hero, but sometimes we need heroes who are fully human only and not also God. We need heroes of the faith. Who are yours? Maybe a family member, those who've directly impacted your spiritual life and health. For me, certainly my dear parents and all four of my grandparents who I knew well. Or maybe a family member you never knew. Like my mother's grandfather, Judge Charles Craig from East Texas, who experienced a lot of loss in his life. Childhood polio during the Civil War that withered one arm useless for life. Loss of a child, and then loss of his wife, and then loss of his second wife, my great-grandmother. My mother tells me that the overflowing winsomeness of his faith in Christ was instrumental in her realizing from an early age that her greatest inheritance was her spiritual blessing in knowing the love of Jesus. And so in and through my dear mother, he and they have had a profound impact on my faith. In his later years, as he grew closer to heaven and his eyes were failing, one of his favorite scripture passages was our gospel reading from Luke chapter 20. He had my very young mother read and reread it to him, and it brought him great relief to know that his two wives in heaven would be his sisters in Christ rather than his wives. <laughs> he lived to 91 and rode his horse every day until he was 90. Reason he stopped? The horse died. <laughs> True story. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, not my family, no heroes of faith there. But the eternity of the church says that it's your spiritual family in Christ that is more true and deep and lasting than any blood family. And so candidates for your heroes of faith are any followers of Christ in redemptive history from Genesis 3 on, living or triumphant. And this brings us to our text from Hebrews known as the Hall of Faith. Many giants in the faith are listed, but also some giant missteps are, go along with those giants. And yet, they're not disqualified from being a hero of faith. And neither are you, no matter your missteps. Let's consider two of these heroes. Samson, 
had a fatal weakness for pagan women. Led by his eyes instead of led by God's word, he was selfish, arrogant, and foolishly forfeited his God-given gift of strength. And yet a hero of faith because in his death, he achieved by faith his calling. When as a prisoner, blinded with his eyes gouged out, and yet he had spiritual sight, He, by faith, pushed aside the pillars on which the building full of over 3,000 evil Philistines rested and so destroyed God's enemies. By faith. And then David, a great sinner who repented, an adulterer, liar, and murderer. And yet, a hero of faith because by faith, he slew the giant Goliath and other enemies of Israel, prepared, had the idea, and prepared for the building of the temple, and was a man after God's own heart, the scripture says. Before all these Old Testament heroes died, Hebrews 11, verses 30, verse 39 says, they did not receive what was promised, meaning that which can only be known through Christ and his Holy Spirit. And so if these Old Testament heroes could believe without knowing Jesus, how much more us? John Calvin says, a tiny spark of light led them to heaven, but now that the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shines on us, what excuse shall we offer if we still cling to the earth? Our greater privilege, Calvin was saying, on this side of Christ, brings us greater responsibility. N.T. Wright says this, the fact that they suffered such things and that they demonstrated that the world wasn't worthy of them was a sign both that they believed that God was making a new world in which everything would be better and that this belief was in fact true. They were out of tune with their times because they were living by faith in God's future world while society all around them was living as though the present world was all there was and all there ever would be. And God was giving them strength to live like that, thus proving the truth of their claim. They were in their own lives and sufferings living as beacons of hope, pointers to the fact that the God who made the world was intending to remake it and that they were the advanced guard of that great moment, unquote. What are you aspiring to? Are you living as though the present world is all there is or ever will be? Or are you living out of tune with the times, with a faith in God's future world? Who are your heroes? We need heroes of the faith and we need to be heroes to others. Whose hero are you? If you're saying, oh no, not me, well, here's what I won't say to you. I won't say, don't sell yourself short. I am saying, don't sell short the Lord who dwells in you. He delights to take those who are unlikely and humble, yet available, and work faith through them for his glory, not ours. 
1 Corinthians 1 says, God chooses what's low and humble in the world so humans might not boast in themselves, but in the Lord. Do you realize you are unique? Each one of you, like none other, only you can be what God created you to be. The only one in all creation. I mentioned earlier that the Lord is building the eternal, true sanctuary and heavenly Jerusalem with living stones. That's you and me, Christian, with Jesus being the cornerstone. First Peter 2 speaks of this. As you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Unquote. In the first century, the tools of stonemasons meant that no two stones were alike, hewn by hand, no wet saws available for uniformity. Each stone was unique. Matthew 13 in the Greek refers to Jesus as the tecton's son. Our Western mindset translates tecton as carpenter, but really it means craftsman or builder. Now, Joseph and Jesus could have been carpenters, but given the landscape around Nazareth, most homes were made of stone. And one and a half miles from there, back in the first century, there was an enormous rock quarry. And one and a half miles from there was the town of Zippori, which King Herod built in Jesus' lifetime into, quote, the Jewel of Galilee, according to Jewish historian Josephus. And so all available tectons in the area around Nazareth were needed to build Herod's stone city. More likely then, Jesus was a stonemason, carving and placing unique stones, no two alike. And that's what he wants to do with you and me. He wants to make unique stones, living stones, unique heroes of faith, And someone needs to see you being who God created you to be in Christ so that they will be inspired. Our sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is not just for ourselves. It's meant to inspire and impact others, maybe for generations. As with every November 1st, this past Tuesday was All Saints Day an appropriate time to consecrate our All Saints Memorial Garden and Columbarium behind me on our campus and the All Saints Cemetery at Cook Walden Forest Oaks Memorial Park nearby. We also consecrated two more places on our campus in memory of two heroes of the faith, heroes of the faith in our church family, certainly. The Chapel Cross, in memory of Andrew Halton, who joined the great cloud of witnesses one day shy of 36, a faithful deacon, building committee member, friend, and brother in Christ, the memorial plaque reads.
As Mike Shannon said in his remembrances, Andrew lived with open hands, giving to and serving others and pointing them to Christ. And then Alden's tree. In memory of Alden Malachowski, my birthday buddy, a joyful believer, beloved daughter, and sister in Christ. The tree was planted from an acorn at the time of Alden's passing at age 13 and transplanted next to the chapel there in 2016. She was spiritually mature in Christ well beyond her years, never complaining about her long illness. She and Andrew both were beacons of hope, living out of tune with their times. Friends, may each of us, in our own unique ways, glorify God in such ways in our own life. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, like your people in the wilderness and the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, we are surrounded by your presence, a great cloud and a great cloud of witnesses. May you and they inspire us to live with endurance the life set before us, looking to you, Jesus, for you look to us as your joy for your endurance. May we live in the joy that comes from abiding in you in all circumstances. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.